0: Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Dr. Greg Hammer, and we're going to be talking about gratitude and, in particular, finding gratitude this Thanksgiving. Gratitude is one of the most powerful tools we have for living a happy life, no matter our circumstances. The key is in knowing where to find the gifts, that are hidden in plain sight, and how to make a practice of appreciating them. And what better time to do that than Thanksgiving? Dr. Greg Hammer is the Stanford University School of Medicine professor, physician, best-selling author, and mindfulness expert, and explains that gratitude is the foundation of happiness, how to find it, and how to practice it. Dr. Hammer is a professor, like I said, of Stanford University School of Medicine. He's also a pediatric intensive care physician, pediatric anesthesiologist, mindfulness expert, and author of Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. He is a member of the Stanford Well MD Initiative and is former chair of the Physician Wellness Task Force for the California Society of Anesthesiologists. He has been a visiting professor and lecturer on wellness at institutions worldwide and teaches gain to medical students, residents, and fellows at Stanford. For more information, you can visit his website, which is greghammermd.com and that's G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D dot com. that, yeah, I'd like to welcome Greg to the show. Good day, Greg. Good day, Robert. Great to be with you. It's it is, it is my pleasure and I'm happy that we're going to be able to talk about gratitude. Um it's something that um sometimes we take for granted. We're <laughs> always reminded around Thanksgiving. But it's a it's a good thing to keep in mind. But Um, I'd like to, first of all, um, you know, I mentioned that you're author of the book Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals, and I understand that GAIN is an acronym for Gratitude, Acceptance, Intention, and Non-Judgment. So what I'd like to talk about first is the first half of the show is, you know, talk about gratitude, you know, the first part. Of that acronym program, and then then in the second half, talk about the remaining aspects. Um, so, let's start with you know when when did you um, you know become particularly interested in the um, subject of gratitude?
1: That's a good question, Robert. I think that. It came into focus for me when I joined the WellMD Directive at Stanford, which was convened in 2011 in response to the growing prevalence of burnout in medicine. So I was part of that directive identifying the drivers of burnout and coming up with potential remedies. And I was asked to give a talk at a national hospital administrators meeting, actually uh, but one of the administrators at WellMD D was contacted and asked several of us if we'd uh, um, be willing to give this talk. And so uh, we've got the beautiful Lake Tahoe and an interesting group of people. So I gave that talk and uh, that went well. I was asked to give another one, another one, and then I had some sabbatical time, so I decided to write a book to get what I was. I think it was a more refined message out to people, and I have spent a lot of time thinking about a simple message and By that I mean that uh, I hear a lot of people talking about gratitude in the context of various practices uh which in some cases are a bit complicated. We talk about stages uh first, there's this stage, the next stage the following. And that just always seemed to be a little bit too complicated for me, so I tried to distill the message down to the simplest form possible, and in the process I came up with four elements that I thought were really critical to happiness, and the first one was gratitude, and, and the others are substance, intention, and, and non-judgment, as you mentioned, that form the acronym GAIN. So this is really sort of a sequence of events beginning with my involvement in this wonderful program at Stanford and culminating in in the book and and by distilling what I thought were really the four pillars of happiness as part of personal resilience, which is really one of the key ingredients to overcoming burnout or perhaps to preventing burnout. So, you know, gratitude is certainly as we can appreciate empirically from our, our lives, uh, really essential to happiness. We can imagine or perhaps know somebody who is poor and happy or somebody who may be physically challenged and happy, but it's hard to even imagine someone who is ungrateful and happy. So I think we can all appreciate that gratitude is, is really essential if we're going to live a happier life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, what, what, one of the things I noticed you, the book was written in particular to help with health professionals. But as I was going through and reading it, it was like, this really could be applied to anyone in particular. So, um, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree that that would be, uh, could, could be applied to anyone who's listening?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Robert, I'm, I'm, grateful, in fact, for being invited to do so many television interviews and radio interviews and podcasts, such as yours, uh, now, nearly three years after the book was published, and, and the great majority of those invitations are from people who have programs that are not really related to medicine, not related to physician burnout. So, yes, that, I, that was something that the publisher suggested as a subtitle, because, my initial aim was really to contribute to a remedy for burnout among uh healthcare professionals. But, um, you know, at this point, of course, uh, I'm, I'm happy to discuss it in the context of everybody. And I think we all share uh, the same sort of negativity, and our suffering is really the same, whether we're in medicine uh, or any other walk of life, regardless of where we live uh what country in which we live. Uh so I, yes, I think these are essential and and certainly applicable to all of us.
0: Yeah. Yes. I, I love when I read a book and can learn to can increase my vocabulary. And one one word that, that showed up um regarding your efforts is that um the gratitude is essential to well being and our experience of eudaimonic happiness. So I had to kind of look up, eudaimonic, what's that, what, what's that all about? <laughs> so, um, tell, you know, I mean, and, and when I looked it up, it's like, okay, so tell us, you know, I mean, that's a, you know, using that word, you know, the idea of, of making, kind of setting the stage, I guess, for happiness, is, is that kind of what what that means as far as gratitude?
1: Well, what it means in, in the way that I use it is, uh, really in the context of what can be described as two kinds of happiness. So, I mean, happiness is really not, it's not a destination, it's a process, first of all. And one can be happy that they got a beautiful new car, uh, one can be happy that, you know, their, their child graduated from middle school, uh, and There are a lot of sort of temporary forms of happiness that tend to fade over time, and these might be referred to as hedonic happiness. And although many of us associate hedonism with something negative and pejorative, uh, it's not really. It's just the kind of happiness that comes from an event in our lives, let's say, that is rather temporary. So, yes, we're delighted to drive this beautiful new car. We're grateful that we could sportive it, perhaps. We sit in it. We enjoy driving it. It just—it's a really smooth ride. The interior is beautiful. The instrument cluster is is artful, and so on. So that makes us happy. However, that kind of happiness is certainly not going to last, as I think everybody can appreciate. And that—that really would be considered eudaimonic happiness. Nothing pejorative about it. It's an important part of life. We should celebrate these events and, and and these blessings. The other kind of happiness, which you reference, is eudaimonic happiness, and that's the happiness that's more enduring, and commonly comes from serving others, you know, being kind to others, being generous with others, um, working for the benefit of others. This is the kind of happiness that really stays with us. You know, we're grateful that we have the opportunity to serve. And this brings us pleasure that is really not about ourselves. It's about something bigger than ourselves, if you will. It's about, you know, contributing to the benefit of others, our culture, uh, helping people in need. And I think we can all appreciate that when we do these things, that happiness kind of stays with us. It, it's it's always there in the foreground or the background, and that's what differentiates it from onic happiness so that is that's what I consider you uh, you happiness and it's a word obviously not commonly used. but uh, in my investigation into happiness science if you will it's a word that did come up uh, repeatedly and so uh, I use it just to, to contrast it with with theonic happiness and again happiness as you know Robert is not it's not like a state that we achieve that's Permanent. It's not a, not a destination, as I said. It's really a process. So if you ask somebody, are you happy? You're always going to get kind of a mixed response, right? I mean, you're going to, well, you know, I'm happy most of the time, not all the time. It's just not something you can really get your arms around as a yes or no answer. It's, it's more, I think, um, appropriately viewed as a pass.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I like the, Differentiation, you know, between that, the hedonistic and, you know, the, um eudaimonic, um happiness. Because, I mean, it's, um it, I think that kind of feeds into the idea of why they're, you know, why people have mixed, um kinds of responses to it. You know, it might be that, that material, you know, happiness, you know, is, you know, maybe, maybe they're experiencing, you know, that, that, uh, that kind of happiness, or they're thinking about that kind of happiness first, and then when it comes down to the, the base, you know, um, demonic, um happiness, that maybe there's something lacking there, you know. So it's, um, that might, I think, contribute to the, um, you know, the mix the kinds of reactions people may have when,
1: when asked. I think absolutely so. And, and you know, it's um, perhaps can be appreciated in the context of, of having a vacation. You know, you sort of plan the vacation, you're going to some beach destination, and you're excited about it, you look forward to it, you're feeling a little ragged from work, being overworked, maybe a little burnt out. And so you're planning this vacation, you're feeling really happy about it, uh excited about it, and then you go on a vacation and oftentimes it doesn't quite live up to your expectations, but still, at what you still after two days you really relax into it. The sunshine, the sound of the waves on the beach, um, you know, producing exotic food. Uh so, you know, you are generally happy on this vacation and then you come home and after one day at work, it seems like the benefits of the vacation have totally worn off. So there's nothing wrong with being happy and excited about planning a vacation and and being generally happy while you're on the vacation. And but you know your expectation can be that that's going to be a very transient, temporary form of happiness. So yes, we need these times with our family. You know, it's a family vacation maybe, and so. That's wonderful. It brings the family closer, and, you know, there's a lot of good things about it. There's nothing wrong with that kind of temporary happiness as long as we realize that that's what this is. And if we want Mm -hmm. a more expansive version of happiness, then, you know, we need to look outward and, and, and look for more enduring forms of satisfaction and peace that come
0: from giving. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Now, what, in in your research, you know, regarding the topic of gratitude, what evidence is there that, you know, a a practice of um, expressing and experiencing gratitude um, has a, the effect on both the psychological and the physical being?
1: Great question, Robert. Um, well, first of all, let me kind of step back and say that with regard to happiness and gratitude, our brains are wired in ways that seem to interfere with our ability to be happy and grateful, okay? So, and and I think that our brains are wired the way they are based on tens of thousands of years of evolution. I think that. 75,000 years ago, we might picture uh, a couple of our forebears sitting around the fire with their children, and they're in a cave, they need to keep the fire going, they need to be kind of focused on the future, they have not worked to keep the fire going, um, and also they had to be rather wary, could there be a saber-toothed tiger lurking outside the mouth of the cave, and so they were obsessing, if you will, over the future, and thinking in a negative, very wary way, catastrophizing in a way, thinking of the worst thing that might happen. And to them, maybe that was adopted. That allowed them to live longer, to have more offspring. Uh, The genes that code for these thought patterns, these neural patterns of connectivity, propagated in the population. And here we are uh, 75,000 years later, and this is the way our brains work. We are... We do have a negativity bias. We tend to remember the negative and forget the positive. We're fairly wary. We do obsess about the future. And with our negativity bias, this leads to fear and anxiety. We tend to catastrophize. And we also obsess over the past. And, and this, with our negativity bias generates a lot of shame and regret, low self-esteem, the imposter syndrome for, for lots of very otherwise successful people, and depression. So, fear, anxiety, depression, these are very common in our culture, and this is based on the way our brains are wired. And so, we go to happiness and gratitude again, and I would say the good news is that our brains have a wonderful quality called neuroplasticity. So, we can actually change the way we think for the better. And I'll give you a good example about how I think that a gratitude practice can help rewire our brains and contribute to greater happiness. There's a program at Duke University called Three Good Things, and this is really a research project that's been going on for years. I think it's still going on, so people might still be able to join as a participant, and basically, the uh, the short version is that you go online, you sign up to be a participant, you take a quality of life survey, which has uh, been validated, which kind of um, measures your degree of satisfaction and happiness in life, if you will. And then you commit to thinking of three good things that happen during your day, every day before you go to bed for a period of a few, uh, a few months. So all this requires is basically that you – maybe you're turning down the bed linen. doesn't take any time. You just think of three good things that happen during your day. Ideally, you write them down and you send them in by uh, – through the web portal. But let's just say you're thinking of three good things, and they might be, well, you know, it was a beautiful, sunny day, um, you know, I really enjoyed the the light blue color of the sky, and i felt fortunate that it, it wasn't cloudy and raining. Um, I'm grateful that I took my dog for a long walk, and it was, you know, really wonderful and peaceful. Uh, I had a good day at work. I, I had some good interactions with colleagues. So we all have three good things that we can come up with. So just by thinking of these three good things, and as I said, ideally perhaps recording them and, and sending them through the portal, but let's just say just thinking about them, what, what the investigators have found is with these quality of life surveys that the participants actually became happier. They slept better doing this before they went to sleep and they became actually more satisfied, grateful, and happy. And so this is a really great example of how, what's basically a gratitude practice, right? It's, it's being grateful for three, three of the good things that happened during the day actually begins to rewire the brain, little by little, but in a fairly enduring way. Um, they found that, uh, I think, they surveyed people, uh, the participants, for six months after they began the practice. And for at least six months, it, it was an enduring effect that made people uh, have a greater sense of satisfaction and happiness in their lives. So this is a great uh, example of... Sort of beginning to rewire our brains, and the relatively enduring effect that being grateful can have
0: on our happiness. Yeah, and that's a very simple, simple thing to do. Um, you know, to to be able to. In short, I mean, you know, it sounds like you know the you know the key to um, making the change. Is, is making it easy, you know, easy for people to be able to, you know, to do that rewire. And um so it sounds like that was, it. that's a um a, a perfect way to, to be able to, to start to rewire. Um now, one yeah, of the things that people add-
1: really embrace, people embrace, I'm sorry to you. you know, people embrace simplicity. And, you know, if I, if I go to a lecture, um, you know, I will retain the information that I I heard much better if it's simple. If, if the speaker is talking about something very complicated, you know, this leads to that, leads to a third thing and a fourth and a fifth, and we go through this stage, that stage, the other stage, maybe some of this doesn't really resonate with me, uh you know, so I get distracted and I have a hard time remembering anything by the end of the talk, so I may not remember much of it at all the next day. Whereas if it's something very simple, if it's kind of, you know, refined to its essence and I can remember it maybe with an acronym such as gain, uh, you know, I think we can remember simple things and, you know, I I've tried to distill what I think are the essential ingredients to happiness down to something simple and, and we can talk about it. Further when you'd like, but gain is, you know, it's four elements. It's an acronym that has four elements, and I think most of us can remember that. And as with the three good things practice, I think we can remember the practice of simply thinking of, perhaps writing down if you're a, a journaler, three good things that happen during the day. It's very simple. It's easy to, to understand and to practice. And I, I think that's really important. When we're talking about how to rewire our brains and become happier,
0: yeah, yeah, I agree. And and that that writing kind of uh, solidifies. Or, I mean, I mean it, it takes the the um, the knowledge, you know, a little bit further. I mean, you know, rather than just simply you know thinking of it mentally, it, it just takes a kind of cemented in a way. You know, as far as um you know the ideas and, and implementing them. Yes,
1: I agree. I mean I I think for a number of reasons that's true. Um I am not a journaler. Like I I I've tried to initiate a journal and write things down on a regular basis and <laughs> it doesn't usually last that long. But um, <laughs>
0: sure.
1: you know, I think the other you know the other element is we are kind of visual. So when you write something down to you're, you're sort of ingraining it in your brain a bit and partly you're seeing it and you're experiencing the writing of it. Uh, when I watch a film I often will turn on the subtitles if I can, uh, even if it's in English because I think seeing the words kind of solidifies it and, and makes it easier for me to follow. Um, I remember, you know, the prior scene better if I if I've read it. So yes, I think absolutely writing it down is great. But for people that like me, uh you know, just tend to veer away from, from journaling and writing things down. Even just getting in the habit of conceiving of three good things that happen is, is a benefit. It just takes, you know, it takes a practice. It's just like anything else. It's um like physical exercise or, you know, simple things like, you know, hygiene practices. We need to kind of have a plan, and that's the I and Danny's intention. We need to have purposefulness to commit to something. And then if we do it every day after a while, it just becomes part of our routine. But it does take some intention in order to incorporate the practice. But the simpler yeah. it is, I think, the, the easier it is to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I did the same thing with captions, <laughs> and about, mostly because some of the time I can't understand what they're saying. But, <laughs> you, know, the, the, you know, the dialogue is like, what What did I just say? But um, but it, it does, I mean, it, it, for me, you know, it kind of really makes it clear. Um, now, it, with, with regard to, you know, the idea of, the yeah. afternoon, you know, gain. Um it was funny. Well, I, I usually walk every morning and stop and chat with neighbors, and, and one of them today said, who's your guest today? <laughs> so, I told her about you and, you know, what game was. But it was like I was immediately able, you know, to kind of spot out, you know, what, what each letter stood for and, and kind of what the ideas behind each of them were. So, um, you know, for me, it was just uh, – it was easy to be able to, you know, recognize and absorb, you know, the various elements, you know, that lead to happiness. Yes,
1: I mean, that's my hope is that we can remember four things. You know, I I studied Buddhism a bit, and I always had a hard time, first of all, remembering a bunch of Sanskrit words, but moreover, just trying to remember, you know, the ten steps of this or the twelve ways to that its too many. Um, and I love yeah. Deepak Chopra. He's one of my heroes. Um, but even he, um, uh, you know, he's written, first of all, that meditation means, you know, 30 minutes or so, twice a day. We can talk about what I think meditation is. Um, but also, you know, even he has, like, the seven steps of this and so on. And, and it's too many things for me to remember. Um, <laughs> three, I think, I think, can't capture the, you know, the... the the fullness of the pillars of happiness, uh, five is getting into territory that I have trouble remembering. <laughs> but four, four <laughs> seems to
0: be a good happy medium. It is good. It is good. Um, now we're going to take a, a break in, in a couple minutes, Greg. So, um, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about the other elements of, of game. Um, but one of the things I wanted to mention is, um, in, in your book, in the introduction, you know, you talk about your story and, and kind of how the book will benefit the reader. But in that, you shared your personal ex- um, experience, the idea what, when of uh, the loss of your son, Max, uh, or his passing. And, yes. you know, when I was going through and reading that, you know, I've had many uh, guests on who have also lost, had children pass before themselves and, and how difficult a, um, an experience that is, you know, and, and understandably so. And one of the things, though, you mentioned in that, during that, you know, section, um, was the idea that, uh, suffering is pain multiplied by resistance. And you, you indicated that it was kind of an epiphany that you had. And, I was kind of um to me it was interesting that you know the idea that pain you know that suffering you know isn't doesn't equal pain I and mean, it just doesn't even equal pain and resistance, but in the effect that it's multiplied you know you know the idea of i guess the the degree of resistance maybe increases the degree of suffering. Is that kind of how I'm treating it? Right? That's absolutely
1: true, yes. I I think um, you know, the A in gain is acceptance, and um, that is an acknowledgement that life is has a lot of pain and and discomfort, as much as has joy and, and celebration. And we can't just, you know, gratitude alone is not sufficient. We can't just pretend that everything is rosy and we're grateful for everything. I think we have to uh we have to acknowledge the pain. We have to sit with it. We have to find a way to deal with it. And, and I don't know if you want to go into this in any more detail before the break, but um, you know, try not to think about something or if there's discomfort or pain related to another person, kind of depersonalizing that. You know, in medicine, uh you know, I decided to go into cardiac anesthesia and critical care for children. I knew I'd be dealing with a lot of death and dying. And I really, you know, people said, well, you can't get too close to your patients because it'll break your heart. And I thought, no, that doesn't resonate with me. I want to be close to my patients. So I'm going to deal with that by really sitting with this idea of death and dying and accepting it because it's something we're all going to experience. And I think that's probably why we try not to think about it. But Trying not to think about something is a form of resistance or, you know, having a patient, let's say uh, an adult patient that smoked cigarettes, now has lung cancer, depersonalizing that patient, saying that person, saying they sort of brought it on themselves. Um, And there's lots of examples of how we can depersonalize people, including what's going on in the Middle East right now. And depersonalization of others when it comes to something uncomfortable or painful, is also a form of resistance. And these things actually increase our suffering, uh, as opposed to getting with the discomfort and the pain and learning to accept it. And, you know, this is, again, all four of these concepts in Gain are, are well expressed in religious and philosophic tradition. These are not concepts of my own device by any means. And so I'd be happy to discuss that with you in a bit more detail if you'd like.
0: Yeah, great. Why don't we do that right after the break, okay? Okay. Okay, good. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, bikeradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn and you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc., and we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us. Again, today, my special guest is Dr. Greg Hammer, and we've been talking about gratitude and also talking about his book, Gain Without Pain, a happiness handbook for health care professionals. Again, you can find out more about Greg by visiting his website, which is greghammermd.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Greg.
1: Yes, hi. Uh, good to be back with
0: you, Greg. Great. Okay, great. So, um, you know, we you started to touch on acceptance um, a little bit before the break. So, is the idea, you know, when you talk about embracing pain, um how, how how does one do that? I mean, you know, is it the experience kind of um, allowing yourself to experience pain? I mean, is that where embrace comes in?
1: Yes, it does. I think maybe, Robert, it would be uh, clear if I just tell you a little bit about the game practice, if that's okay. Okay. So I think it's would to be easier to understand what I conceive of as an acceptance practice, just as we have a gratitude okay. practice, in the context of the gain practice. So, you know, I mentioned before that many people think that meditation means you have to sit still for 30 minutes without scratching an itch, perhaps in an uncomfortable <laughs> position, um, and that we should banish all thoughts from our minds. And, and that's absolutely not true. Um, I'm going to just briefly describe a three minute meditation that would be ideally done in the morning, uh, sitting comfortably and instead of banishing all thoughts, I'm actually gonna suggest a pattern of thoughts. And they are the focusing on the breath and then gratitude, acceptance, intention, and on judgment back to the breath. You each for 30 or 40 seconds. So this is quite simple. So we get up in the morning we open the blinds, maybe there's sunlight, um, maybe there isn't, depending on, on what is our latitude and the season, but we open the blinds, we enjoy looking outside, we do our morning hygiene thing, <clears throat> and then we take And we take adjust ourselves so that we're quite comfortable, hopefully in a quiet place. And we focus on the breath. So we breathe in through our nose slowly, we actually may may count slowly to three on the in breath pause to a count of 4 or 3, and then gradually release the breath effortlessly to a count of 4. Let's say we breathe into a count of 3, pause to a count of 3, release the breath to a count of 4. And, and if each one of these counts as a second, that means the breath cycle is 3 plus 3 plus 4, 10 seconds. And that means we're slowing our respiratory rate to 6 per minute, and we're doing so deeply. So we're really... Filling our lungs slowly and steadily on the in-breath, feeling our chest and body expand while we pause, and then slowly letting the breath out. And we do this for a few cycles. And what we're doing in part is activating the parasympathetic nervous system. And that keeps in check the sympathetic or fight or flight side of the nervous system. So by activating the parasympathetic nervous system, we're actually slowing our heart rate lowering our blood pressure, lowering our blood sugar in a healthy way, and settling into our breath, appreciating the, the magic of the breath. And then we go through a contemplation of that for which we're grateful. And and as we discussed, I think we all have things for which we're grateful. Our relative health, uh, the fact that we most of us live in a safe place, we've got a roof over our heads, we've got enough food to eat, we have people that we love and enjoy spending time with. Um, maybe we have a pet that we adore. We all have much for which to be grateful. This day, for example, as my friend Doug would say, being on the right side of the grass today. But these are all things for which we can be grateful, and we we sit with those and link them to our slow, intentional, deep breathing. And then we transition to the A again as we. Discuss, and this is acceptance. And so here we, we actually picture something uncomfortable or painful. So for me, you know, the death of my beautiful boy Max often comes to mind first. We actually focus on it. We link the, the thoughts, the experience, the feeling to our breath. And we, we bring this experience, the sensation closer mm-hmm. and closer. We actually envision opening our chest, opening our hearts, bringing this painful or uncomfortable experience closer into our heart and actually nurturing, it, nourishing it with our heart. And just sitting as we breathe slowly and deeply and intentionally, sitting with this experience and allowing our muscles to relax as we breathe slowly into this experience. We hold this experience. And then we transition to the iron being, which is intention. So... As I said, we have a negativity bias and we're very distracted by thoughts of the past and future. So our first intention may be to be positive and present. So we may just focus on our present experience, our physical experience, our sensations. We focus on the feeling of the pressure of the chair against our body. We focus on the sound that we hear with our eyes closed, perhaps an airplane going by in the distance. Uh, perhaps a car passing, uh, the slightly sweet smell of the air that we're breathing, the tingling on the soles of our feet, that subtle sensation, and we sit with these feelings and we we reaffirm our intention to experience the present moment in its fullness, and we also reaffirm our intention to be more positive. So we reaffirm our intention that the next time we're having negative thoughts, we actually reverse that and think about the positive elements in our life and the positive elements in our experience. These are our intentions. Then also to be more grateful and giving and kind and compassionate and present. And we link it to the breath. And then we transition finally to the ending game, which is non-judgment. And we might, for example, envision an image of the Earth apparently suspended in space, one of these beautiful NASA images. We appreciate the beauty of the Earth, and we recognize that the Earth is just a planet. It is neither good nor bad. Things don't have to be good or bad. When we judge with our negativity bias, we often judge negatively, whether it's of others or the world or ourselves. And here we appreciate that the earth being just a planet, neither good nor bad, things don't have to be good or bad. It's only logical to think of ourselves as just the human being, the person that we are. I am just the person that I am. I'm neither good nor bad. And we sit with this, I am this. I am neither good nor bad. I am, and then we link this to our breath, appreciating the slow fullness of our breath. Looking into, I am. I'm neither good nor bad. And we go back just to it, so pure focus on the breath, and then we slowly open our eyes, and we're ready to go out in the world. And
0: and this can take as little as three minutes. That's you know that's a a wonderful exercise to to start the day. You know as far as because i I know many times I would just. You know, jump out of bed and start right in. You know, with with whatever you know was on my my agenda, and really not take you know even a few minutes you know to to get centered and balanced and and kind of. But but I do like the um, the process of you know identifying you know the the gratitude acceptance. Intention and judgment. I mean, those are those are several areas that um, that I think would kind of give us a, um, a well-rounded kind of approach to starting the day. Yeah, you know, we
1: often we start with our negativity bias as soon as we wake up. At times, right? So we, you know, maybe okay, we're getting out of bed. Our back is a little stiff. Uh, as we go over, maybe our joints are a little stiff. And we just start focusing on, oh, my back, you know, my, my hands are sore, stiff. Um, and if this is a few graphic, I, you know, one way of of getting out of that negativity, again, this is an intention, if you will. It's a purposeful way of converting those negative thoughts into positive thoughts. As we get up and we we, we walk to the bathroom, Maybe to uh, empty our bladders in the morning, and again, I hope this isn't too graphic, but you know, <laughs> our physiology is miraculous. the The fact that our kidneys, for example, for most of us, we don't have kidney failure. Our kidneys do this amazing job of filtering our blood, removing things that would be toxic if they were allowed to accumulate in our blood. And they filter our blood. They they pass along these toxic substances uh, into our bladder uh, along with some water. And our bladder has the amazing capability of storing this uh, liquid material uh, even overnight. So we might get up once or twice to go to the bathroom, but it's amazing that we can sometimes sleep through the night without even getting up. This is our urinary system working in a miraculous and complex,
0: harmonious way. Our
1: kidney, our ureters, our bladder, and then we're able to get up and, and go to the bathroom in, in a perfectly coordinated way once we our bladder where this is a series of muscle contractions and sphincter relaxation. And so again, I hope that's not too graphic, but it's instead of when we start to focus on the negativity of our back hurting or our, our hands being stiff, uh, go to the miracle of our physiology. Something as simple as emptying our bladder in the morning. What what processes that requires, and how miraculous our physiology is that we have this. We were healthy enough to actually stand up and walk and and do these basic things. It's the amazing physiology of our, the way our body works, the way our heart is pumping blood to our organs, where our organs are working. So let's just be grateful for this day that that miraculously our our physiology, our bodies are working the way they do, rather than focusing on, let's face it, the relatively minor, for most of us, issues that, you know, minor discomforts and and negative aspects of the way our body, the way we experience our body is. And so, you know, there's lots of ways to do this, but we can, with intention, you know, sort of switch off these negative thoughts in favor of the positive way of thinking and being.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I must say that, that I know henceforth <laughs> my morning routine is going to have a different insight <laughs> in the morning. So, <laughs> uh, but, but that's okay. Cause that's, you know, again, like you say, it's, it's a way of appreciation, you know, for something that we take for granted, you know, often take for granted, you know, and, yeah. but, um, it kind of just sets the stage for, um, you know, just just rec- recognizing the, like you said, the miracle of our, how our bodies work. Um so that, well thank you for the, for that, uh, that three minute, uh, game, meditation, um, that, that I think, you know, the, the listeners are really going to enjoy. Um so, and maybe, you know, Robert, house.
1: people can make a habit of mm-hmm. it when they get up and go to the bathroom in the morning. They actually, experience gratitude for their physiology, for the way their bodies are working. And, and that will sort of snap us out of our negativity, uh, our focus on the list of things we have to do for the day. Let's, you know, let's be present. Let's enjoy what's actually happening right now. And, you know, that might be a, a simple sort of, you know, somewhat humorous practice, actually, to appreciate just <laughs> joy in the morning.
0: Yeah, I can I can see myself smiling <laughs> while those thoughts are going through <laughs> my head and, and other stuff is going on. <laughs> so, but well, that's good. That's that's a, a, a good way yeah. to start of the day. Um, now, there's a couple other before we run out of time. There's a couple other topics that you cover in your book that I'd like to maybe have you just you know talk a little bit about. One of them is sleep. Um, since you we're talking about our morning wake-up, but you have a, a section called sleep, neglect at your peril. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I, I've recently got one of those smart watches that kind of, you know, identifies my sleep pattern, you know, r and wakefulness and that kind of thing, and, and I've just found it interesting, you know, to – you know, to see the the pattern I, I guess, you know, that that I go through during the night and, sure. and how how it I you know reflects in the morning. So can you talk just a little bit about that? You know, just about the importance or maybe um you know some you know some ideas for improving people's sleep um, practices?
1: Absolutely. Well you know I would say just stepping back briefly that the the four pillars of mental and spiritual Happiness or gratitude, acceptance, retention and, and non-judgment. Three legs of the tripod that support our physical well-being are sleep, exercise, and nutrition. So you asked about sleep. So this is, you know, I'm just going to give you sort of broad strokes, and you could spend hours talking about sleep physiology and the stages of sleep and the restorative benefit of the various stages of sleep, the brain waves associated with those stages. But just in broad strokes, very simply, you know, again, uh we have to have intention. We have to have purpose for us. we have to have a plan. That's the I and game. So we, we should have a plan with regard to our sleep hygiene, Very simply. So for example, um going to bed around the same time and getting up at the same time, every day, even on the weekend, is has been shown to be of benefit uh for the quality of our sleep. Um you think about caffeine. I'm very sensitive to caffeine, and as somebody who studies pharmacology in the laboratory and in patients, caffeine has a pretty long half-life. And what does that mean? That means that the, say, the blood concentration of caffeine that results from that nice of coffee you have in the morning, that blood level that occurs within the hour after you have the coffee, uh, half of that level is in your bloodstream five or six hours later. So you have that mug of coffee at 8 o'clock, maybe there's 120, 150 milligrams of caffeine It results in a certain blood concentration. At 1 or even 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you've got half that concentration. So it's equivalent to having half a cup of coffee at 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And a quarter of the initial blood concentration, the peak blood concentration is present, It's hours later, so that might be around 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening. Now, if you have a cup of coffee at 1 o'clock, half of that caffeine is still in your body at 7 or 8 o'clock, or let's say 6 or 7 o'clock, and then half of that concentration is still there at 11 o'clock or midnight. And for me, since I'm sensitive to caffeine, that will interfere with my sleep. So knowing that, I stopped having the afternoon cup of coffee, and that improves my sleep. And alcohol also, alcohol uh, binds to a receptor called the GABA receptor, which is where general anesthetics work and sedative drugs, and those disrupt our sleep. We might be unconscious, but we won't get the full restorative benefits of sleep if we have alcohol in our bloodstream. So we really shouldn't drink uh, alcohol, maybe a glass wine with dinner if we're not eating too late, um, that's another thing is we shouldn't eat dinner too late. That also interferes with our sleep. So there are lots of things that we can do, you know, having a ideally a dark room, uh, having a cool temperature if possible in our bedrooms at night, um, putting away our screens at least an hour before we intend to go to sleep, or that means our phones, our tablets, our laptops, um, even watching television if possible. So maybe just start reading a magazine or something like before we go to sleep. But so these are all simple things that we can do that will improve the quality and duration of our sleep.
0: Yeah, excuse uh, me, thanks. You know, those are really good um, things to consider. now I, I know I'm also very caffeine sensitive and, and recognize that if I were to have an afternoon cup of coffee that it was, whether it could be a good night's sleep you know or you know or at least getting to sleep is sometimes challenging and um so now I, I probably need to work on having my meals um earlier um but um now what, do you think that the um I guess it's the kind of the European way of, of having a, a bigger heavier meal midday <laughs> and then something light? Um, would does that work? I mean, does that, you know, kind of uh, a good process to have?
1: Or? Well, you know, I, I think many of us get kind of sleepy after we have a big meal. So I think, you know, if your work schedule and, and your schedule otherwise permits, you know, we could we talk a little bit about nutrition. It's not only what you eat, it's when you eat. So, there's – many people have read about intermittent fasting. There's actually a lot of science behind this that if we eat, let's say – and this is sort of the light version of intermittent fasting, which I do, which is to try to eat within an eight-hour period and, therefore, fast for a period of 16 hours. That fasting puts a little bit of stress on our metabolism, which turns out to be healthy for us. So, if we eat, let's say, between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. So I don't, you know, once I started doing this, and this, you know, relies on me coming back and and taking out my my work schedule in the operating room, the intensive care unit, which I'm doing. Uh, when I'm in the OR, I have to eat breakfast because I don't know if I'm going to be able to eat lunch. But if I'm not in the operating room or the intensive care unit, you know, I don't eat till 11, and I try to finish dinner by 7, both for my for intermittent fasting purposes, but also for my sleep, not eating too late. Mm. So I think, you know, when we have a big meal, Robert, a lot of us get kind of sleepy, so I think it's probably healthier and and better for us in terms of our productivity and ability to concentrate, maybe to have more frequent, smaller meals. So maybe Mm. have something to eat if you're doing intermittent fasting at 11 or 12, uh, but not too much, you know, and then maybe have, uh, you know, something in the mid-afternoon, you know, maybe some fruit and yogurt. Um, it's great to have protein with sugars that we eat. Um, I, I wear a continuous glucose monitor for two weeks at a time periodically, and I've noticed that, you know, fruit has a lot of sugar in it, uh, which is fructose. It's natural sugar, but it's still sugar. It's not really healthy for our blood sugar to spike. Um, so if I have some fruit, my blood sugar goes up, but if I have fruit with some protein, could be a protein bar that's healthy, um, you know, grass-fed whey, for example, um, or some yogurt that has a lot of protein in it, then I can have the fruit and my blood sugar doesn't go up very much. There's a lot of interesting mm-hmm. things you can learn with continuous glucose monitoring, but I would suggest, having you know, a relatively reasonable late breakfast, early lunch, and then, you know, perhaps allowing for 10 or 15 minutes to have a snack during the afternoon and then having an early-ish dinner, that, that's my biggest meal, actually, because I, I have a big salad with a lot of uh, organic greens and, and other vegetables, and I in it's gone at around 6 o'clock. Um, but I think, you know, they're probably not too beneficial or healthy to have a huge meal, but rather confine your eating to eight hours that you can manage it with your schedule and, and have more, you know, smaller meals during that time.
0: Oh, great. Good. Well, guys, we're down toward the end of the show. Um, okay. Greg, so, um, what do you hope that, uh, listeners or readers of the book would, for lack of a better word, gain by, by reading your book? Oh, <laughs> well, that's
1: a good word, actually, Bob, I'm glad you used that word. And, you know, what I would hope uh, is that people can recognize that we all have a negativity bias. We all have a lot of distracted thoughts going to the future and past that are maladaptive. So it's not a dirty little secret. It's not something, oh, if my friends knew that I thought this way, that they wouldn't like me anymore, they wouldn't respect me. That's not true. We're all wired this way. And the good news is our brains have this quality called neuroplasticity, we can change the way we think. And as you and I have been discussing, this can be very brief, simple practices. Uh, over time, practice on a regular, ideally base, daily basis have a huge impact on our uh, thoughts and experiences and our happiness. And so, you know, I would encourage people to consider the brief three-minute day meditation in the morning, focusing on the breath, and perhaps the three good things or gratitude practice before you go to sleep. And I think... If you start seeing it and make it a habit, you'll find that it, it's very simple and easy to do, and it really will start to change the way you think for the better.
0: Oh, well, that's great. Well, I want to thank you for your time today. It, it's really been great speaking with you, and we got some wonderful insight and some some work that we can do. So uh, thank you again for your time.
1: Thank you, Robert. It's been a pleasure. I uh, hope to be with you again sometime.
0: Great. Thank you. Again everyone, today my special guest has been Dr. Greg Hammer and we've been talking about gratitude and in particular um, talking about gain, um, his book, Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. Again, you can find out more about Greg by visiting his website which is greghammermd.com. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Urso. And until we meet again. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Ringing Inspiration to Earth show. Be sure to visit our website at www.biteradio.me. That's B-I-T-E-R-A-D-I-O M-E. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Biteradio Me. And our shows are also available as a free podcast from iTunes. And until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.